0: Five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. <laughs> Thanks for joining. I hope you can comment. <clears throat> Looks like my computer rebooted or something. I'm up, it says. I hope that's today. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's get over to the news. We got something fun to start with as usual. Here we go. I'm what you call a toy boy. A squeak kind of <laughs> hmm. luckily Petco makes it easy for my family to satisfy my discerning tastes with unique gifts plus holiday grooming so I smell and photograph great I look adorable right I'm definitely yeah. getting my belly rubbed after the holiday dinner so anyway in case you didn't get it this is the this is the dog's perspective <laughs> that's a <the> dog talking <laughs> and he's good with the squeaky toy Petco the health and wellness company there you go <laughs> so anyway that's enough of that <laughs> so let's get over to the real news right now let's see if I can do it without shutting myself completely down okay Facebook this is big news to me anyway Facebook to limit ad targeting for health race ethnicity and other attributes Today, this is, this is uh, Graham Mudd announcing that today, that's yesterday, we announced that we will be deprecating, which I mean, I think, it well, I don't know, it means eliminating, I guess. I don't know what deprecating means. Anyway, thousands of interest targeting options that relate to potentially sensitive topics such as health, race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, all this I didn't get this last line. While this decision may seem obvious, it wasn't. <laughs> Maybe that means we've been doing it for almost 20 years, but we didn't care about it at all. So Meta says that um, that they found out that people could do naughty things to other people with these with these targets uh, somehow. I don't know quite how, but I had been talking to to Kim Axel. Over at uh, Red Lobster, because we're we're just about to head into the Nativity Fast, if you're an, if you're an Orthodox Christian, and that'll go about six weeks or so from the 15th of November to uh, Christmas to Christmas Eve. <laughs> so it's like, woo! <laughs> it's you know, it's not trivial, and uh, we have about 180 days of fasting every year. So. Uh, there's a lot of fasting and we're not even allowed fish fries like I was when I was growing up. So, uh, what are we allowed to eat? Well, one thing we're allowed to eat anytime we want is shellfish. I don't know why I didn't write the rules. I don't even know when they came into being probably in the fourth century or something. Anyway, so I said, you know, if you wanted to target a good list, you might want to go you know offer orthodox christians some kind of a coupon or something buy one get one free or something uh to come and have a shrimp dinner or lobster dinner or a clam chowder or something we can eat almost anything that has to do with shellfish and i love shellfish but you know it gets a little pricey and you can't go out to dinner every day and you're not supposed to really either you're supposed to just you know eat potatoes or something but uh but uh at red lobster they were worried about the uh, removal of the cookies and not so much removal of app, Apple's <laughs> privacy limitations or Facebook cutting them out of the cookie. But I was trying to think of how you would target Orthodox Christians. And obviously there's some websites that sell books and and uh, and other uh, religious items. But uh, I thought, you know, there's a lot of Facebook groups and that might be a really good way to target Orthodox Christians. Now, I think, because religion is is now off the table i think that uh i think that that's off the table too now what's really interesting when you get to start thinking about facebook is you know in the old days in the old world um you know there might be a a catalog of orthodox religious items and you could contact that catalog through a list broker and the catalog could decide whether or not your ad would be offensive or not to those participants but facebook doesn't ask the page owner if they think that this ad makes any sense i mean this could solve facebook's almost its entire problem or at least a good proportion of it now there granted there might be some face some page owners that have that don't care about their page sub- uh, subscribers or likes or group members, but in general, if you let the group admins participate not just in the content of their group, but in the ads you posted, you know, much better than the Facebook algorithm. And here's why. This is from the whistleblower, and it was a couple days ago, um, back in October, but the whistleblower testified before Parliament. Francis Hagan and uh, ex-Facebook data engineer, and she said that Facebook, the way the algorithms work is that they're charging cheaper prices for hateful ads, and the platform is literally subsidizing hate. And that's not all it does. I mean, my wife posts little health tips columns in, on little independent pharmacy Facebook pages. Okay? That's, one of, that's what she does as a business. And... Uh, also in newspapers, but the newspapers have, you know, struggled. And Facebook regularly bans her ads, doesn't let her post. It won't be across the board usually. It's just like one pharmacy will be like knocked out or one or two. And then she has to get in touch with Facebook and say, this is a real pharmacy. This is a real retail store. This isn't some fly-by-night Colombian drug peddler. This is just a neighborhood pharmacy clears that up but every now and then she'll she'll put up this ad and she's not she sometimes yeah she sometimes is boosting them because the pharmacist wants it done and Facebook will say this ad has troubling content or something and you can't tell why And, and it posts on another it might post on another site but Facebook lets the algorithm decide these things they should take a page from the list the you know the the almost two hundred year old list industry where we let the person who has a vested interest in the group decide if the ad is going to be acceptable to the group. you know on I used to I used to uh, run whitetail dot com and I had the golden rule privacy statement. and basically what I said was, you know, if you send us your name, we we can write you or email you or whatever, but we won't let anybody advertise that we don't like, that we don't wouldn't want to see the ad. Simple. Right? This solves Facebook's problem. But anyway, they're trying to do it with algorithms. You know, they don't even need to hire anybody. The group owners, the admins, will do this. They would be happy to do it. Get them to participate if you're gonna and then give them a percentage of the ad, you know, which in general they don't get anything. So give them a little incentive, give them a role, let them decide if the ad is harmful or not or if their group would be offended. Okay, so anyway, what the work the way that works on Facebook though is the algorithms make content more visible if it gets more user engagement. So divisive content is <laughs> divisive content is most effective at driving engagement. We all know that because it's easier to provoke people to anger than to empathy and compassion. So we are literally subsidizing hate. And, you know, you can say, well, Facebook should know better. Yeah, maybe, but you know what? Facebook, the problem with Facebook isn't that they want to subsidize hate. The problem is they're letting algorithms, and people who write the algorithms really are are to blame, but they're not they're not worried about it. They're worried about getting a nice algorithm that actually functions in, a, in an efficient way, so that they don't have to mess with advertising. They just let the advertisers throw stuff 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 up there, and if it gets lots of likes or lots of, you know, they don't have dislikes. If it gets lots of engagement, engagement that's the metric. But engagement might be makes me matter no wet hen. <laughs> so anyway, Facebook should have full transparency, and you know what. Facebook should get the group owners involved. It would make a ton more sense. Okay, and finally, we want to end up with why direct mail should be your first call to amplify communications. And this is by Erwin Busselot, I believe, but it could be Busselot. Erwin, um, on your profile, there's a little place where you can, you have to use your phone and the, face, and the uh, LinkedIn app. But on LinkedIn, there's a way to record your name. You can check my profile. It says Miglosh, John Miglosh, just like that, and and then people know how to pronounce your name. I'm not saying in your country. I think he's from Brussels. Um, everybody knows how to pronounce it, but in the United States, help us out. It's a it's a nice feature that Facebook has, and and unlike most days, I actually check to see if you've done it, so that I would do a, a wonderful job, or at least best I can, at pronouncing your name. So. Irwin says direct mail is being rediscovered by brands and agencies. Uh, they're reappraising it as a medium that gets results. Okay, and um, he he talks about how uh, about how campaigns that use mail increase market share and uh, actually a fifth are profitable. I believe what he's talking about here is prospect mail because that would be a, a reasonable number. Most prospect mailers' mailings lose money, but they, but they, but mail tends to have a a much higher, like four times higher retention rate than digitally acquired customers. Okay, just happens to be the case. When people are digitally acquired, they're shopping around and have no loyalty. (laughs) With mail, they're looking at stuff, they're interested in what you do. So it just, Turns out that way, and I've seen it over and over and over. And you won't know it until you're in year two or three of all your digital acquired customers. Okay, so direct mail can act as a real differentiator, uh, driving clear growth for brands. Uh, it increases share of voice, which is something Mark Ritson talks about, and return on investment. Uh, it can be personalized and targeted again. You know, back to this Orthodox Christian thing uh, Red Lobster probably could. I don't know. I've asked a couple of people. I belong to a a society and uh, they've asked me to help with the marketing. I said, how do we reach Orthodox Christians? Is there a way that we can rent lists or something? And they said, no, we're not allowed to. We're not allowed to mail anybody almost basically. Uh, So, you know, it is a it's a sticky puzzle. Right. And uh, I need to uh, I need to, to reach out to some people on that one. But you can personalize it if you can get the list. If not, I always say, if you don't know who your target is, don't use targeted marketing. Your best bet is to use the lowest cost per thousand. And in that case, digital makes a lot of sense. You know, But make sure the headline screams what you're looking for. Orthodox Christians, go to Red Lobster for fast days or something. You know, that's the kind of the that's the kind of, and I would say you target around the you target around the restaurants that would make sense. Anyway, too much free advice. They they, should, we should be working together, Kim. Okay, so seventy percent of consumers feel valued when receiving mail. Mail can be an effective tool for driving up customer lifetime value. That is one of the key things, and and one of the problems with. With so much, you know, everybody relying on digital analytics or a Google Analytics uh, is that uh, you get this pitfalls of last click attribution where you're where you're m- the real work of marketing is being done offline and then, you know, by your trucks or your yard signs or your stickers on the furnace uh, or your mail. And then people look up your phone number or whatever because they forgot to take the sticker with them. And all of a sudden, the digital gets all the credit. Google gets all the credit. Uh, You're really double paying because you paid for the sticker and you paid for the click, right? So think about that, okay? So lifetime value is something that you need to get your transactions involved with and keep track. Uh, And then Erwin cites RICO, somebody from RICO, giving us talk about Daniel Dunn from Paperless. Anyway, Irwin works for Rico that's where he came from but it was a good case study. Sky Broadcasting in the UK found that when they use direct mail it uh, to reach an almost forty percent share of the doormat doormat apparently that the mail in the UK a lot of times goes through a slit in the door they don't have as many mailboxes so it lands on the doormat. <laughs> So Sky could use direct mail and get a share of the doormat. And um, a mailer was sent suggesting LAP subscribers were missing out with a story we've been able to to deliver to you unmissable Sky shows. And uh, and it probably went on the bills that we could consider and pile and, you know, 33% increase in, a, in customers returning. Okay, so it worked fine. And I like to see case studies. So have a nice day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Leave a comment if you learned something today. I would hope you learned something today. Even that Facebook news is right off, hot off the presses. Remember when you had presses? Bye-bye.